Welcome to Zero Broke Girls. I'm Jules. And I'm Joe. We started Zero Broke Girls as a way to empower women to take control of their money. We think the first step is to simply start talking about it. So that's what we're going to do. We're so grateful you've joined us for this week's episode. Let's get started. Hey, Joe. Hello, hello. Hey, Jules. So welcome, everyone, to our first full episode at Zero Broke Girls, where we are going to be talking all things money, how we earn it, how we spend it, save it, and how we feel about it. Money impacts almost every aspect of our lives. And so we're so interested to talk to women about how they see it, manage it, think about it, what they know, what they want to learn, what resources have helped them in the past, and what they're still looking for. All of this will help us to grow a more informed and empowered community of amazing women. We can't wait to have guests on our show, and we have some pretty great ones lined up. We have experts who are going to join us to talk about what they're seeing in their businesses, as well as everyday women like us who are going to be sharing their stories and perspectives on the more personal and emotional side of the equation. Money in relationships, lending money to family, borrowing money from friends, money mistakes, good habits, things that have helped them turn around their situation, overcoming mental blocks around your money mindset, all of it. And we're so excited. So some of these women will choose to remain anonymous and others won't. We let our guests decide. But before we have any guests here, we wanted to spend the first episode talking about Zero Broke Girls and discussing a little bit more about who we are and why we're embarking on this journey. Joe and I are both super curious and interested in all things money. Recently, maybe because we've had a lot more time at home due to COVID-19, we've spent a lot of time reading. And we became insanely interested in what was going on with women and money and why. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the stats about women and money are not great. No. Depending on what you're looking at, it goes from bad to worse in a lot of places. And I think one of the things that brought our attention to it was all the increased scrutiny during the pandemic about how much more it was impacting women than men, um, specifically as it relates to to finances, employment, all things like that. So that's how we got interested in this topic or more interested in this topic and what ultimately led us to create Zero Broke Girls and start the discussion. So we thought a great way to kick off the podcast would be to share some of those stats with you. So what we've decided to do is we've each gone through the number of things that we found over the over the last few months as we started working on this. And we picked our top three stats, things that made us mad, uh, things that made us curious, things that made us confused, all of the above. And we are going to share them with each other for the first time and talk about them. So we haven't shared them with each other prior to this. So we could end up with six stats or we could end up with three if our brains were exactly the same and we've picked the same three. But we've tried really hard not to do that. <laughs> we're Without gonna, we're actually knowing. Yeah. we're about- <laughs> So before we get into the statistics, I think it's really important to know that statistics are not perfect. They are typically based on a sample of people, which isn't always fully representative of the whole population. 
we don't have all the information behind the selection criteria that was used or the methods that were used in the calculations. And there are a number of reasons that can lead to bias being introduced into statistics. All that being said, our main goal behind sharing the stats are to show that issues do exist when it comes to women and money. What we want to achieve with this podcast is to get to the stories behind the statistics by talking to women. Okay, so I guess I get to go first. Before I say the stat, Jules, math, mathy Jules. Okay. Can you explain? Just a background. I did do a math minor in university. (laughs) And I did not. Um, So I had to brush up to make sure. I really hope I can answer your question after I just said that. Yeah, I really hope so too. So the median of something. Can you explain to our listeners what the median is? Because the stat is a median stat, and I want to make sure that they have the context. Absolutely. So the median is basically the midpoint of something. So if you have um, a range of numbers and you line them up from smallest to largest, um, the middle point would be your median. And the median is really useful because when you're using an average, it can be skewed by really high numbers or really low numbers, um, whereas that doesn't happen for the median. The midpoint is still going to be the midpoint, whether there are outliers kind of on either side of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's perfect. So this stat is about median net worth. And net worth is basically... The value of assets a person owns minus the liabilities they owe. So what do they have? What do they owe? What's the difference? Um, Net worth is a super great way of, you know, seeing how people bounce out. So this is for U.S. women. I'll preface that. Um, And the specific stat is for single women. And the median net worth for single Black women is $200, $200, and $100 for Latino women. Wow. And just to compare, against white women is $15,640. Oh, my God. So literally, the net worth for women of color is less than a penny for every dollar of white women. And that's not even talking about men who are well above white women. Almost wow, double by the same, the inequality. By the same uh, stat. Yeah. So I was absolutely floored by that. That is a shocking one. That makes me so mad. I know. So in this article, which is actually a Clever Girl Finance article, and we'll link it at the, we'll link all the articles at the end of the podcast. But the article basically said that that stat, there's kind of five things that drove that stat. And I'll read them to you. The first is a lack of financial literacy resources and financial services that cater to women of color. And this is super interesting because we've talked about this a lot, and I think we're going to bring guests on who can talk about this as well. But it's just an insane reality that in 2020, this is still such a prominent issue. Yeah. The second is the impact of the gender wage gap on women of color. We know that women on average earn less than men, but women of color significantly less than that, which is brutal. Um, really you know, investment wage gap uh, was the third. And the fourth, I'm not going to say because it's actually my second stat. And I don't want to okay. ruin it. 
Um, and then the fifth was that lenders specifically target women of color with higher interest rates and, uh, you know, mortgage discrimination, things like that. I mean, the inequality is so pervasive in absolutely everything. It's honestly outright enraging. And I can't believe that that article is not on the fucking front page of the New York Times. Like, I don't understand why people aren't aggravated by this. I mean, it's a phenomenal article. I hope everybody reads it. But also, I hope everyone is incredibly angered by it. So that's that's that one. Okay, you're up. Number one. Wow. Okay. The first one I wanted to talk about was, you know, really why we're here, which is to talk about money. Mm-hmm. And so I found this statistic that says 61% of women said they would rather talk about their own death than money. No. Yeah, that's what it is. 61? So this is a Merrill Lynch. They did a survey. I feel like I need to call 10 friends and ask them if they really feel this way because I, I believe it. I actually have another stat that's related to this one. So it's the same theme. Let's not count it as my second stat, but I'll share it as well. Okay. So in 2015, Fidelity Investments conducted a survey of women to learn how they address finances, you know, obstacles that they face. And they found that 80% admitted that they have refrained from discussing money with family and friends. And really, I mean, that's why we're here, right? To talk about money. And so I think that these stats are really important. I think we want to talk about why women aren't wanting to talk about money. We've both talked about this, that talking to our male friends or our partner, they are more likely to talk about money with their male friends. And they're learning from it. I mean, I know my partner has learned so much about investing or investments he should look into from his friends or, you know, help on negotiating a better salary. And I'm just not talking about these things with my friends. Yeah. I mean, it's also just like money as much as, you know, learning about money is important and personal finance. And that's primarily what we'll probably be talking to everyday people about talking about your goals around money and how much you make and what you want to make and what your ambitions are career-wise. I mean, that's how you find opportunity. And if you're not willing to talk about it or open the conversation, you're also not opening up to the possibility that somebody you talk to might have an opportunity for you. Or like, I just think it's so interconnected with so many other areas of our life that it's not just about, you know, how much money we have in our savings account or how much our credit card debt is. It's also about our jobs and our quality of life and the types of things we want for our families. And the 80% stat is actually more shocking to me. Yeah. So that one is more about they've refrained. So it's not 80%, you know, have said they don't want to, it's just, they haven't. The study goes on to talk about the why, which I think is really important. Okay, what is it? A lot of people felt that the discussion on money is too personal. So that was, uh, yeah, that's why we want to talk about it. I find that so funny though, because, and this is just a total aside, this is not statistically backed. This is just my own opinion. And I've actually heard my own friends say that to me too. when I've talked about it, like, oh, that's personal. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. But then I will literally talk to those same people about 
like a one night stand that they had or yep. their latest trip to the OBGYN or getting a pap smear. And I'm like, how is <laughs> money more personal? personal to- yeah. I like how is- I know. Like what is too personal? Because people are openly talking about their sex lives on the internet these days. Yes. But, <laughs> but they won't talk about money. I know it's same thing. Like I share like the most intimate details with like of my life with my friends and they do too. Until it gets to money. How that's the line? It is very surprising. Yeah, I find it I find it so interesting. And I would love to talk to someone who does feel that way so we can better understand it. Cause I mean I'm sure there's a lot there, right? Like I think there's so much stigma around either having money or not having money or what mm-hmm. it means that I don't want to imply that those feelings aren't valid because they definitely are. I think if we can better understand why people feel that way or why they feel it's too personal, whether that be, you know, embarrassment or shame or just sheer uncertainty because they don't know, they don't want to feel stupid. I don't know what it is. I don't want to pretend that I know what it is, but if we could understand the why to that question, why is it so personal? I mean, then yeah. Can... Getting past that, you know, why aren't we talking about it? Because it's too personal. Okay. Well, why do we feel like it's too personal? Just moving and then on. Let's, to... let's go there. Let's get to the core. I issue. would love for someone to talk about their experience in that way. So, yeah. So too personal was listed. They don't like to share this information and they were not raised. Those were kind of the main thing. And this also could be leading to why it's too personal. If you're raised to think that finance is sort of a personal topic, it's not talked about at all with your family. It's very similar to the conversation about race. If you've never talked about it and you don't know how to talk about it, it's very uncomfortable. There's a high probability you're going to say the wrong thing or ask the wrong question. Absolutely. I mean, there's just so many things people need to start talking about. There really are. We need to be talking about everything. And then confidence was brought up a lot, which is ironic when I explain my second stat. So this comes from a Forbes article and it lists a number of studies, but basically the overall message is that women are actually better with their money than men. And they save a higher proportion and they are better investors than men. So women outperform men. There was a study, there was an old study actually that's back from 91 to 97, gender overconfidence and common stock investment. And so that was a Cal Berkeley study. They found that um, men traded 45% more frequently than women, but women outperformed men by just under a percent per year. Now this is from 91 to 97. So it's very old. So, and likely the men trading 45% more frequently than women, that has definitely gotten better. Uh, But that outperformance stat um, has held. More recent research confirms. So there's a study between 2012 and 2016 by the Warwick Business School. And the group of women outperformed males in the study by 1.2% per year. Basically, the message is women are less confident. However, when they actually get into it, they're outperforming men. They're doing it less, but they're better at it. It's funny that you say that. And this wasn't one of the ones that I brought, but I know that you said that the one you found was older. One of the ones that I was looking at is I found an article from New York Times from 2019. And the title of the article is Consider Firing Your Male Broker. Yeah. Um, Only one in five brokers are women. 
but they consistently outperform the men, which I just think is awesome. Yeah, I think it's awesome too. Though they only are in the roles about 20% of the time. So it's it's just interesting, um, which actually kind of leads into my next stat. Perfect. So, and it's kind of along the, the same lines. So the kind of framing of this is that there's been a lot of studies recently by Forbes, by Fortune, by Harvard, by pretty much everywhere, saying that diversity and leadership creates better results in the workplace. There's been a ton of surveys done by, you know, Glassdoor and all this other stuff that are saying that as rated by colleagues, women are more and more ranking as better overall leaders. And that companies with women in executive leaderships are more profitable overall. There's obviously less companies with women in executive leadership positions, but things look good when they're there. So the stat, though, is that companies run by women received 2.7%, 2.7%. So let's call it 3%. We'll round up just for the sake of rounding up. Companies run by women received around 3% of all of the venture capital funding in 2019. That's crazy. 2.7%. What percentage of companies are run by women? So the article does not say, that's a really good point. The article does not say how many companies are run by women versus men that correlates to the 2.7. I would imagine it's significantly less, but... Hopefully more than 2.7% of companies are run by women. Not to mention those women in those executive leadership positions where they're outperforming. They're also getting paid less. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. Can't ignore that one. Okay, my last stat. This is a doozy. But I don't know if it's as shocking as the others, given where we are. But anyways. So my last stat is around debt, specifically student loan debt. So when we were doing our research, we initially, before this ever came to be, there was a ton of stuff around women being stressed about money, and debt was a huge component of that. I think debt is a huge reason why our net worth is so low. Um, Spending, obviously, credit cards is big. But this one is related to student loan debt. And it's, again, an American statistic, largely because American statistics are just more accessible, I think, than statistics for any other region. Um, And maybe they're not indicative of the situation in other countries in the world, but we have what we have, so we'll go from there. Just as a kind of note, there's $1.5 trillion of student loan debt in the U.S., 1.5 trillion. That's probably more than the economy of some small countries. Again, I'm not an expert. Don't fact check me on that, but that would be my assumption. And two thirds of that, so 929 billion of it, is held by women. Joe, you stole my stat. Was that your stat? (laughs) Yes. Well, good thing I got to read my third one first. Woohoo! Yeah, it's amazing that women are getting educated. It's unfortunate that there's such a big cost and they pay such a huge financial cost and burden to do it through debt. I mean, I think it'll be really interesting to talk about, 
to talk to people who both have debt and also people in the financial industry who are working to advance the cause of either relieving student debt or coming up with alternatives for people to pay back their debt um, in different ways that becomes less of a less of a burden. But so, Joe, do you think that the main reason that women own two thirds of the student debt is because they make less money and so it takes them longer to pay it back or like what why do you think that is I don't know honestly I like it seems like like I could you know see okay 55 45 kind of thing but two-thirds just seems so much more okay so this is to your point you were right on the money by the way one of the main reasons that women own so much more debt is um, the report says that women graduates are paid 74% of what male graduates make. Hmm. So then couple that, I would imagine with, you know, when they take time off to have children, if they have children, the fact that we're not promoted as fast, the fact that we're not, when we get raises, they're not as much. Um, Again, significant generalizations made in that statement, but you know, the premise is there. There's a lot of stuff happening in the States right now around loan forgiveness, um, which would be super interesting to talk to somebody about. Because it's such a complicated, intricate financial problem for the government, the people, everybody. Um, I would be super interested to talk to somebody on that. So if anyone listening knows anything about that, please let us know. Please reach out. Yes. And if you have shocking stats, let us know. We want to hear them. Shocking stats are shocking stories. I love the shocking stories the most. The stories are really what we want to get to. I did say you stole my stat. I still have another one that I'll actually have a couple more that I saved just in case this happened. Because you knew I was going to be a thunder stealer. Yeah. I'm used to you. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, so this one I saved actually in relation to a conversation that you and I have had in the past about working with financial advisors that talked about the unconscious bias that exists. They were studying financial advisors and they didn't find a lot of conscious bias, but one of the things they did was they tracked their eye movement. So when they were dealing, when the financial advisor was um, helping a heterosexual couple and they tracked where the financial advisor actually spent their time looking. And they found that 60% of the time, the advisor focused their attention on the male versus 40% the female. And you have an experience that is a little bit like that. I, I can't believe that they actually made a statistic about that because well, first of all, I'm glad they did. But yeah, my experience was when we were going to actually open up an education fund. We had had just had a baby. It was our first child. And we had to go to the bank because both of our names had to be on the account. So before they'll open it up, you have to sit in like one of the rooms at the bank with the advisors to go through the paperwork and, you know, sign the consent forms that you know you're doing, all that kind of stuff. And we both bank at this particular bank. All of our finances are there. Our personal finances are there. And just a little bit of background for this particular story. At the time, I was working full-time. I had been the primary earner 
in our relationship from a personal perspective because my husband hadn't worked for um, the year before. He did have his own business, but that was kind of kept separate. So this person would have had no visibility to that. So from his perspective, I was working, I had an income, my husband did not. And he wouldn't even look at me. He spent the entire meeting asking my husband if he understood, asking my husband about, you know, there's some various options, what he thought about that. And I mean, my husband and I, it was very obvious to both of us. And it was just incredibly frustrating. And I, uh, I didn't say anything at the time. And looking back, I probably should have. And I think I didn't say anything because we had like the baby with us and like things were going on and it was just, you know, hectic. And and I think had. sometimes we don't say anything because we're really not that surprised by it. Like we've just gotten so used sure. to that happening that sometimes it's easier to just roll your eyes, which I don't think is the right thing to do for sure. But I mean, I've definitely done the same thing. Just let it go. Well, I'm not surprised. Yeah, no. And it's, it's funny because we left and I was so angry and I was, Oh yeah. I was just so annoyed by the whole situation. He had made some comments as well. Like he had read my profession and my husband obviously wasn't working at the time. And he made a joke to my husband, like, Oh, maybe you should go get a job there. And we were like, uh, pardon? (laughs) Like this guy was so surprised that your wife could make more money than you, but it was just the whole thing about it. And just the, like every single advisor there is like a middle-aged white man. And it just annoyed me, but I, and you would never go back to him and I would never go back to him. And I think for me, like I didn't say anything to him because I knew that it didn't actually impact how I felt about myself, my confidence. But I do think that looking back, I feel like I should have said something because not everybody is actually is confident in those situations. And for someone who wouldn't have been as confident, I think it probably would have made them feel very small because while it aggravated me and made me want to call him an asshole to his face, I think a lot of people would have potentially internalized that um, if we get back to what you were saying about confidence and then it would have impacted their ability to to speak up or ask questions. And I mean, we were there opening an account that had $0 in it. So there was really no anything on the line. Like it was just an administrative activity, but had it been a mortgage that we were negotiating or setting up our, you know, mutual funds or making retirement decisions, like it would have been a completely different thing. And by the way, that same asshole does that too. And so, I mean, I think absolutely, I've definitely been in situations where I walked away and kind of rolled my eyes and looking back, wish that I, you know, stood up for me, but all women really is what you're saying. Like if, if we have the ability to stand up for ourselves, it could help other people that may not have that same confidence to do so. So, I mean, all we can do is in the future, make an attempt to do that. Yeah. I mean, I I am a firm believer that sometimes people just aren't aware of how they come off. And I'm sure the same applies to me. I'm sure there will be points in this podcast where I say something and people are like, oh my God, like shut your mouth. (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about. And I hope people tell us. And back to this guy at the bank. I mean, I feel like I should have told him because maybe he wasn't aware and maybe he thought he was funny. You know what? That's when we need our, our guys to be like, listen, man, my wife is where it's at. Like talk to her. Yeah. Oh God. That's true. I'm going to talk to him about that. 
I'm going to be talking to someone about this tonight. Tune in next week for Joe and Jules' relationship debrief about how zero broke girls cause problems in our marriage. <laughs> uh, I don't think that would cause problems in either of our marriage. No, I don't think so. I honestly think he, um, I'm normally pretty outspoken. And I think he probably just thought if it annoyed me enough, I would say something and that poor man wouldn't stand a chance. But the moral of the story is I definitely resonate with that statistic and it makes me livid. So on that note, I actually hope that as we, if any of the statistics we read gave anyone a visceral reaction for whatever reason, and they want to share why, please tell us, send it to us in a voice note, send us an email, whatever it is, um, because I think numbers are great and we both love statistics because we love to research things, but putting stories to statistics and actual people's experiences, I think goes a lot further. So absolutely. And that's really what we want to do is get to the story behind the statistics. And I think, I mean, your story on that stat definitely resonates with me more than the stat does. So on that topic of reach out with your stories, Jules, what kinds of things are you most excited to talk to people about as it relates to their money? Okay, I'm I'm really excited to talk about how people manage money in relationships. I think there are so many different ways you can do it. I know what works for in my relationship. And it, to be honest, it took us a little while to get there. It, it's not something that's super easy from the get-go. And I can't imagine if you're not comfortable talking about money with your friends and family, I hope that you're comfortable or that you will work to get comfortable talking about it with your partner. The other thing that I find so interesting about relationships, like so for couples who manage it together, how they manage it is is interesting. But what I find more fascinating than that, and probably just because I'm so involved in my own, I can't imagine not being, is people who, or couples where one person manages it all and the other person isn't involved and doesn't have visibility and doesn't necessarily know how much money you have or how much debt you have. I think there's a lot of couples where one partner manages all of the money stuff they, you know, they make all the decisions, things go, whatever. And the other partner doesn't necessarily see it, doesn't need to. And then it's great when you're together, but statistically, you know, a good handful of marriages aren't going to end together. And then what happens, right? How do you recover from that? I think a lot of our parents grew up that way. Definitely our grandparents. What happens if you have absolutely no visibility to managing the finances? And then you know, something happens and you have to, for the first time, start doing that. Yeah. I mean, our generation is just not, for the most part, I would say not like that, but I don't actually know. And I do know that there are couples like that. I mean, we, we know some couples who have been like that. I would love to talk to women who have been in relationships like that and then, you know, had to you know, get themselves back on their feet and how that, how they were able to do that. And, you know, that would be a great episode. They would tell other people, you know, red flags. I love talking about red flags. It's one of my favorite things, right? Absolutely. 2020, <laughs> what were the red flags you ignored that you wouldn't ignore again? <laughs> so Joe, what would be your number one topic that you can't wait to talk about? 
I love to ask people about things they bought that they regret buying. Just because, I mean, it's not overly serious and it's not overly complex, but um, as someone who used to do a lot of online shopping, I bought a lot of weird shit. I have some regrets. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I just love to hear about the weird shit people buy. You know. What is it called? Buyer's remorse? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a little bit. I have have some examples of that. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good one. I would say the other thing that I would like to get into, I would like to use this as a learning opportunity and I would love to learn more about investing. And Mm -hmm. given that we've just covered that women, you know, outperform men typically when it comes to investments, I'd love Mm -hmm. to have, you know, an investor as a guest and sort of pick their brain. Yeah. Women investors, women financial planners. um, Yeah. Women educators, I think that's super interesting around how we are or are not properly educating our kids. Um, yeah, so that's another there. topic. How how yeah. do we educate our kids? I mean, one of the reasons that women don't talk about money that they listed was because they weren't brought up talking about money. So talking about money with kids, I think, is really important. Yeah, and how do we stop the next generation of women from being in the situation we're all in where we're just trying to figure it out? They can figure out the next thing. I don't know what it'll be, but mm-hmm. <laughs> there's always going to be something. The reason that we really brought up those statistics, Joe, was because we want to help change them. We don't like the way they sound. We don't want those to be the statistics. They're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. Our hope is that our kids grow up in a, in a world where those statistics are different, are better. Are starting to slide in the other direction. Exactly. And they have been, but there are still some truly shocking ones. So we started Zero Broke Girls as a way to empower women to take control of their finances and to help change these statistics. We want there to be fewer women living paycheck to paycheck and way fewer women that are stressed out about money. In our perfect world, there would be zero women stressed out about money living paycheck to paycheck. Or zero broke girls. We noticed there was a lot out there in terms of education material, which is awesome. But this is more about actually having conversations about it. So like Joe said, moving past the actual stat and tying a story to it, learning from others. I mean, we talked to our girlfriends about everything under the sun, like we were discussing earlier, other than money. Every time we do that, every time we have these conversations, we pick up amazing tips and suggestions. I think we both agree that we'd much rather learn about personal finance by having these discussions, you know, over a cup of tea, maybe a glass of wine. Definitely a glass of wine. Rather than reading about, you know, compound interest for the 500th time. We're going to talk about something that's been uncomfortable to talk about in the past with women the same way we talk about our favorite recipes our relationships, shopping, and our next travel destination. So that's basically what we're here to do. Don't forget to subscribe and join us every Tuesday for a money date wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Zero Girls for details on upcoming episodes, how to find our guests, and more. As always, if anything you hear sparks something you'd like to talk or learn about, let us know. We would absolutely love to hear from you. 
Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to chat next week.